Welcome to the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. I'm Jack O'Brien, Finance Editor for Health Leaders. My guest today is Mike Jasperson, Senior Vice President of Provider Network Strategy at Priority Health in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mike, thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. Welcome to 2021, a year that will largely be defined by how healthcare organizations emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic, which dominated the prior year. While hospitals and health systems continue to face acute challenges related to the outbreak, insurance companies also address the impact of the pandemic on their respective business lines as well. Their forward-looking operations are still tied to how providers fare during a moment of crisis and emerge following the widespread distribution of an effective vaccine. With that in mind, I want to start our conversation there. Mike, I spoke with the CFO of Spectrum Health a couple months ago, and he obviously gave me the perspective from the provider organization standpoint. I'm curious, speaking to our audience, which is primarily uh, his peers and his colleagues in that community, what's one thing you'd like to know what, that you'd like them to know about how, provider, how insurers are faring during the pandemic? And do you have any sort of expectations for how payer-provider relations are going to change in a post-pandemic world? So, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, clearly had a considerable impact on the entire healthcare system across the country, uh, including health insurers and obviously for us here in, in Michigan. You know, in the spring of 2020, we saw dramatic changes in healthcare delivery overnight as uh, testing capabilities were ramped up and providers scrambled to ensure that there would be adequate acute bed and ICU capacity to manage the anticipated surge. We saw elective surgeries and routine uh, procedures being delayed or canceled because of concerns around capacity and reluctance from patients to seek the care. And we actually saw that there were a lot of people who were simply reluctant to seek in-person care from providers at all. So pragmatically, this produced a cash crunch for nearly all providers in the state all at once. So insurers like us were being asked what they could do to help. And despite the run-up in COVID claims, you know, from the surge, the net for priority health was a reduction in overall medical spending due to the shutdown and the reasons I mentioned previously. We were also inundated with requests to reduce administrative burden for providers struggling to keep up during the pandemic, prior authorizations, et cetera. So our reaction was to do our absolute best to ensure that we were being as responsive as possible to our key constituents, including providers, obviously. So some of the things that we did in our response during the pandemic is we did, we reduced administrative burden by offering less stringent utilization management requirements for providers. Um, given cash crunch concerns, we advanced dollars reserved for physician incentive programs and other risk-based programs, which normally would have been paid you know, later in 2021. We implemented higher levels of reimbursement for telehealth services for Medicare Advantage COVID inpatient cases. We suspended sequestration and, and covered testing and COVID treatments with no cost share for members. Uh, finally, we, we issued premium credits back to employers and to members at a time when extra money would be most helpful to most people. So I think it, it really ties to how we fared together in response as a system of healthcare delivery in this country in times of crisis. So regarding relationships and the go forward, I, I do absolutely think those relationships will evolve and improve between providers and payers in a post-pandemic world. We hope that the marketplace recognizes that our organization and others 
acted quickly uh, and with integrity and honesty as we proceeded through the crisis together. And we hope that relationships and trust improved in terms of our resp uh, specific response during the pandemic. So the pandemic put a spotlight on the need for strategic payer provider relationships. We saw that providers, for example, with value-based payment arrangements in place fared much better than those who are operating on a fee-for-service basis. So moving forward, I think there's a great opportunity for payer providers to work together in a more transparent and thoughtful way. Instead of seeing their relationships as purely transactional or, or even adversarial in some way. I think that's interesting because I spoke with a few CFOs a couple weeks ago and they were hoping for the same things where it was kind of, I, I think the, the cliche term now is the great reset, but something like that as it relates to payers and providers and how they interact going forward. To that same end, obviously there's been a big focus on what the pandemic is going to mean for the shift towards value-based care, which has been slow over the years, but has obviously picked up mm -hmm. in recent years too. What's your expectation for how COVID is going to impact that? And what do the various stakeholders, be they payers, providers, the federal government have to do to advance the ball forward down the field once we get a vaccine and life gets somewhat back to normal? Yeah, great, great question. So I, I think the pandemic highlighted uh, again, the pitfalls of paying for healthcare based on the number of patients seen and services rendered. Um, this situation reinforced the benefit of financing healthcare in a way that is not tied to volume, but instead to value. So, under value based payment arrangements, as you know, payers reward providers for reducing healthcare costs while maintaining or improving quality. And through a COVID lens, those agreements can support providers in times of uncertainty. You know, in the midst of the pandemic, uh, we saw an interest in these agreements increase. Although initially, obviously, during the pandemic um, uh, in the spring of 2020, most all-value-based negotiation was halted. Once providers were able to get their legs under them, there was a clear realization that fee-for-service models in a time of unprecedented disruption weren't sustainable. So immediately, discussions proceeded on creative models that can move dollars from coverage to care if this were to ever happen again. Um, population health models included everything from traditional capitation models to MLR-based full-risk total cost care arrangements. We're hoping that the pandemic has a lasting impact on the potential of moving to value. Payers and providers who are in value-based agreements are managing costs in an effective way that helps address the larger issue of rising healthcare costs in our country, you know, that were occurring prior to the pandemic. But the healthcare industry is still heavily reliant on fee-for-service reimbursement and changing something that is so ingrained within an industry can take a lot of time, as you know. So wholesale changes from fee-for-service to value from major payers like traditional Medicare or Medicare is one step in moving the market forward. Obviously, private health plans like Priority Health serve a key role in this as well. In order to move from fee-for-service, there needs to be a willingness from both payers and providers to put in the time needed to make this transition. And it has to be flexibility and model design to meet the provider organization where they're at in terms of their risk tolerance. Provider organizations continue to be in various states of ability to actually manage meaningful risk. And meaningful risk and clear economic alignment can be transform transformational in healthcare. Some more evolved than others um, and are able to capitalize on the risk. I think that's why collaboration is essential for our success. We can't just throw risk over the fence and tell the provider good luck. 
uh, carriers like Priority Health manage risk as a core business model, it has to be a partnership to work. I think another huge component to making this transition is education. If we can help stakeholders understand the benefits of value-based payment models, both financially and in overall payment health outcomes, we will be one step closer. We've been implementing uh, value-based payment arrangements for a long time, since 1997, and we continue to see lowered cost of care and improved patient health outcomes through those models. And at the end of the day, that's why we're in business, to provide access to affordable coverage and to improve the health and lives of our members. Like you said, I think it's clear that it's going to take a long time to get fully away from the fee-for-service that everyone's become so accustomed to. But like you said, there are opportunities both from payers and providers to be able to move closer to value-based care and kind of the lessons learned coming out of the pandemic. So I appreciate you kind of detailing that. I, I did want to go back to uh, something that I brought up at the top, which is the fact that I've spoken to a number of CFOs at hospitals and health systems across Michigan and kind of the different challenges and opportunities that they've identified with the pandemic and how it's shaped the healthcare industry there. I'm curious your thoughts, especially coming from the insurance side of things, how you think that the pandemic has affected healthcare in Michigan and maybe what some of the, I would say, long haulers or kind of, you know, the the housemates, I guess you could say, they're going to stick around for a while. I know telehealth has certainly taken off during the pandemic, but what yeah. are some of the things that you're seeing in the industry out there that you expect to you know, stick around for a few years? So, I mean, the pandemic, is a, it's been a defining moment really for the entire world. Um, and I, I won't re repeat my comments on value-based models, but obviously we're hoping these are here to stay. Um, I think they are. I think that this has been a turning point uh, in the industry. Um, in Michigan and elsewhere, I think we had yet another eye-opening experience when we saw a startling and disproportionate COVID-19 death rate within African-American communities. This was happening in different areas throughout the country, but here in Michigan in the spring, we saw that over 40% of COVID deaths were African-Americans, while only 14% of our state population is African-American. So this was shocking for everyone on the delivery or um, uh, payer side of the business. This again revealed the need for more solutions to address inequities within healthcare, and I, I don't see that being a fad at all. Um, our team continues to focus on creating and driving innovative programs that work to address critical social determinant of health issues. We're actually the first insurer in the state of Michigan to offer provider-based incentives for tracking SDOH data. Uh, as you mentioned, I think another thing that is here to stay for sure, both nationally and in Michigan, is a widespread adoption of telehealth. COVID-19 caused a dramatic shift in the way our members were seeking care. Uh, we took notice that more and more consumers are comfortable with and actually prefer the convenience of telehealth services. This was most pronounced and sustained, really sustained within behavioral health. But we're hoping that the use of telehealth has a lasting effect across the board. We actually launched a new virtual first uh, telehealth PCP plan for 1121 and are incorporating telehealth benefits within many of our plans. I think a lot of insurers are doing the same or at least exploring those options as well. Finally, something else I, I don't see going away is a renewed focus on mental health resources. Um, this pandemic was extremely challenging for many people, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. Uh, between people being isolated from friends and family, perhaps laid off from work, you know, struggling with finances, uh, living in fear that they or a loved one may get the virus, it's been a, it's been a really rough year. Well, one response that we had to that is we, as a carrier, provided all of our members with free access to a tool called MyStrength, which is an online mental wellness tool. 
I think we saw a lot of industries, not just healthcare, step forward and provide resources for people who were struggling with mental health. I think it's a key point you just made there about the behavioral health aspect. I know that employers have had an increased focus in terms of including those kind of services and options as part of their benefit packages. So that's good to know that priority health is obviously making it, not to sound cliche, but a priority. But also it's encouraging to hear you as well talk about being able to identify and address some of these racial disparities that we've seen in terms of the mortality rate related to the virus. So uh, certainly important things to focus on there. Mike, it's been great having you on the show. We just had one more question here, which is obviously you're the first guest of the year. So you get kind of the the broad question, but kind of the unfortunate question of after a year that was rocked by so much uncertainty, we still have months ahead until we get back to any sort of semblance of normal life. What's your advice to leaders like yourself who are either on the payer or provider side or anywhere, frankly, in the healthcare industry, as they go through these next few months that could be very challenging, even though there might be light at the end of the tunnel? So I think uh, moving into 21, like we talked before, I think it'll be important to determine what changes were temporary and what things are here to stay. Um, I believe in the next couple of years, we'll see a renewed energy towards healthcare preparedness. I think we learned a lot uh, through the pandemic. I think we're all in agreement now on the phrase, you know, plan for the worst, but, but hope for the best. And as far as advice, I'd remind everyone to stay nimble and be ready to, to innovate. We've seen so many examples of companies and entrepreneurs learning and adapting in real time to survive. And I think that'll be necessary as we move forward. Um, this pandemic has caused a massive shift in consumer behavior. And I think it's gonna take time to catch up to that. So innovation in this industry is gonna be key. Uh, be ready to make changes, but understand that you won't always get it right. Um, we moved very, very quickly during the pandemic. So we as an industry did what we felt, it felt like decades of learning in a year's time. Um, there are bound to be mistakes that occurred along the way and there were, but there was incredible learning that occurred. So this has been an extremely challenging experience, I think for everyone in the industry, but it also has been incredible uh, inspiration to see how our company and communities have responded to the crisis. Yeah, you really see what people are are made of when they go through something like this, as unfortunate and abrupt as it was. So, uh, as always, I think you kind of speak for <laughs> what I've heard from a number of other <laughs> leaders across the industry. It, it's been wonderful speaking with you, and I'm I'm glad we could start off the year with this kind of conversation and really kind of looking back on what happened in 2020, but also looking forward to what the opportunities and challenges are. And I think our audience really benefits from that. So thank you for sharing your insights with us. And we hope to have you on the show sometime, as I've said to some of the leaders in the past, when it's a little more normal, whenever that may be. Yeah, glad to join you again. Thanks again for having me. Excellent. Well, thank you. And thank you to our audience for listening and joining us on this episode of the Health Leaders Finance Podcast. As always, until next time, keep taking care of your patients and each other.